Welcome to Why in the World. My name is Ben Shepard. Thank you for all your kind words, by the way, about the podcast so far. If you do want to let me know what you think, I am at Ben Shepard on Twitter and at Ben Shepard 93 on Instagram. And please do leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts as well. Today's guest is a lady called Laura Try. At the beginning of this year, she wrote Across the Atlantic, one of the most incredible endurance feats on planet Earth. She's very inspirational and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. This is Laura Try on Why in the World. So I'm down in Stamford. I'm with Laura Try. Hello, my love. Hello. This is so exciting. It is. It is. Thank you for having me in your home to start with. This year already, you've done something fairly wild. You've rowed across the Atlantic. That is correct. It blows my mind, this. It kind of seems unconceivably big to me, the Atlantic, and it seems scary. Like, how, to start with, how and why did you decide you wanted to do this? Okay, yeah, this is going to be quite embarrassing, actually. So, originally, three, uh, nearly four years ago, May 2014, uh, my friend called me up, said, Hey, LT, what are you doing Christmas next year? I'm like, well, I haven't really thought that far ahead. Probably nothing. Mm. He goes, we'd like you to row across the Atlantic with us. So um, I just thought, wow, that sounds awesome. I really don't like rowing. I don't know where the Atlantic is. Like, yeah, I'm in. Like, let's do it. Uh, just because it sounded like an opportunity of a lifetime. I think, having spoken to a lot of people about challenges over the course of this podcast so far, I've noticed that there's uh, definitely naivety involved in these sorts of challenges. A lot of people sort of saying yes to things before they actually knew what was going on. So post then him asking you and you saying yes, um, how long after that did you actually find out where the Atlantic was? I got straight on Google. (laughs) (laughs) That's so embarrassing. Like now the world knows that. Um, Obviously I knew where it was straight away. Um, And then it took me uh, three and a half years to then actually do the challenge. Mm. So, yeah, naivety to say yes, but then all the fundraising, the preparation, the training, the right team took three and a half years for it to actually happen. So talk to me about how you put together that team as well, because it wasn't just you that did this. There was three other girls in the crew as well. Was that right? That's correct. Four women called Row for the Ocean. So originally I was asked by two of my endurance friends, endurance uh, runners, Mm. to join their team. But sadly, because they had families and jobs and everything like that, they then found that the fundraising on top of that, it was just too too much. We just couldn't do it. So the team fell apart. And so it was just me. I was just left. It was actually three guys and me. We was called three men and a little lady. (laughs) Obviously, I was the little lady. And then it just stuck in my head. I've agreed to do this challenge and row across the Atlantic. And now it's not going ahead. I need to do it. Then I went out to work at the start of the race in 2017. And I kind of waved goodbye to these rowers. I was doing the social media. I think I actually turned green because I was so envious of what was ahead of them this huge adventure I then was at the finish line in Antigua and I waved them back in once again I was just absolutely sick with jealousy I just thought I want that to be me got back put a video on social media made a kind of like little funny video put it on Twitter Facebook got quite a few thousand views and then suddenly I get an email do I want to join the row for the ocean Atlantic rowing team we've seen your video on Twitter do you want to join the team so I'm just like hello yes 
uh, and and that was it really. What was your reaction like when you realised that actually you were going to be able to do this? Admittedly, when I got the email, I was drunk. <laughs> so then, obviously, I wasn't yeah, you know, not crazy drunk. So then I woke up in the morning and thought, oh, I got that email last night, and it was kind of quite. British in terms of oh hey Laura we've seen that you want to row across the Atlantic we're doing it and I thought is that an invite so I literally just wrote back are you inviting me on your team and then and then obviously they said yes so then I've kind of woke up in the morning and thought well all that's gone ahead like I'm actually doing it this is three and a half years in the making but then it almost doesn't register because you've then got to raise all the money to do it and you're you're just on autopilot to just make it happen until you actually get in the boat and you actually pull your first stroke on the oars then you realize now I'm doing it it's one of those challenges as well that I've always thought you kind of have to manifest the fact that you're going to do the challenge before you even do the challenge if that makes sense with a lot of things you can just go and start something but with this it's actually leading up to starting the challenge is as much of a challenge in a certain way as actually doing the challenge because it's not a cheap thing to do this is it no i couldn't agree with you more what you've just said we had to raise one hundred ten thousand pounds for the boat the race entry the equipment the food uh, and then all the training weekends on top of that it's basically a full-time job so just like you say, you have to actually imagine that you are almost doing it on a daily basis. I used to lay in bed, sit on a train, any time that I kind of had to myself that wasn't fundraising, mm. I would imagine what it would be like. I would actually imagine how it felt, what it would sound like. You know, I was there every day. So I almost felt as though when I actually was doing it that I'd done it before. It was really yeah. odd. So when you got that email, let's just go back to that. What was the time between that and the start? So that was April 2018, and we left to row in December. The team had been together for about a year and a half, so they had about two years of preparation. But I got invited really by three strangers, and then eight months later I got in a boat and rowed across the Atlantic with three people that I really kind of didn't know. How was that? I mean, odd. When you think about it, it was odd. But also we all had the same goal and that was to become the first female team to to win the race Mm. in that particular race. So we all had the same goal. And so that automatically just brought us all together. You just kind of get on with it. I mean, when you have to sit on the toilet on a bucket in front of someone that you don't know or when they see you half naked or just all sorts in pain or hysterical with in just ecstasy of the ocean... You, you kind of get to know someone quite quick. Training from April to start of the race in December, um, what did you put yourself through? Well, I was already fortunate enough to have rowed around Great Britain the year before. So I'd already had 56 days of ocean rowing experience on a boat. And I'd already trained for that for probably a year and a half. So I kind of had it in me already. Yeah. So then I got back from around Britain. That was in... August 2017 I then was invited onto the team April 2018 but because I'd had it in my head that I was going to do the Atlantic I wasn't sure how or when I just carried on training so I was still on the rowing machine I was still doing weights but as soon as I got invited on I upped it so it really was just getting on the rowing machine every morning minimum of half an hour every Sunday we'd do two hour rowing sessions I hate the rowing machine I sit on that rowing machine for 10 minutes and I think this is awful 
<laughs> You're going to laugh at what I'm going to tell you. I hate it too. <laughs> like, I, I, I really don't like the rowing machine at all. It's awful. It, I mean, it is horrendous. Typically, I'm a runner. I, I run for years. I did some marathons, ultramarathons, obstacle races. And I, I absolutely despise the rowing machine. I don't particularly like rowing. I'm not a rower. Put me in a fine boat and I'll fall in. But ocean <laughs> rowing is so completely different. Yeah. It's so completely different. It's all about the environment. But to get on that rowing machine every morning for a minimum of half an hour, that was the training. Not so much the physical training, but it was about not wanting to do it. That mental prep as well must yeah. have been massive. Just getting up. I used to go to sleep sometimes in my gym kit and then I used to just go into my shed and I just used to row. And I think I totally don't want to do this. And then I thought, well, if I don't want to row 10K every morning, how am I going to row for 12 hours a day? Yeah, there is that, isn't there? And yeah. it's just building that mental fortitude, I suppose, to, to kind of know yourself that you're going to be okay. Let's go to the start. Yeah. When exactly did it start? Where did it start? Let everybody know the story that doesn't know or didn't follow. It started on the 12th of December 2018 in La Gomera. Not many people know where that is, so it's a small island in the Canaries right next to Tenerife. Uh, It's the furthest island west, so you're kind of as close to the Caribbean as you can get. And we go out there two weeks before to prep, so there's quite a lot of work to do on the boat. There's lots of inspections by the race. It's called the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. So there was 28 boats. We was a female for, you need to get all your equipment checked, make sure everything works. You're out doing training, you're at race briefings, you're doing this, you're doing that. Uh, Two weeks in the Canaries, I thought, we're going to have a great time, but it was literally all prep. And we were tired before we left, not really eating very well. And suddenly we're about to go and row across the Atlantic. It's so bizarre. Did it feel weird before you actually started to think that that was going to be your home for six weeks? Yeah, it did feel it did feel weird. And uh, typically I don't get very emotional. But on the morning of the race, um, kind of, I really felt as though I was going to break down. Just so overwhelming like how ready I was but actually like sugar lumps Mm. we're actually we're actually gonna do this and the I mean adrenaline was just so so high I my body couldn't process all of the hormones and all of the emotions what was running through your head because something like ocean rowing is one of the few things that there is out there that if something does happen there isn't always help you're right yeah Did you think about that before you left? Well, I suppose at this stage it's important for listeners, some might not realise, you can't can't get helicopters out to the middle middle of the Atlantic. There isn't a support boat. There's two support yachts that come along once in the race just to check you're okay. But they could be five, seven hundred, a thousand miles away. Yeah, you're right. If something goes wrong, you're in trouble. But I'm familiar with the boat that that I rode. And I knew that she was safe. I also am very much of the thought that if you think something enough, it will happen. So I would play out emergency procedures in my head, more so to know that I knew exactly what to do if something did go wrong. But I wasn't worried. I was excited. That morning then? Oh, don't. Just sleep the night Just don't. I just... I did sleep. I'm really good at sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) And I... um, 
I'm really into my meditation and box breathing. So I knew that if I didn't sleep, I would basically be stitching myself up for the first 24 hours of the row. And the key thing for us was to get a quick start. So I laid in bed and did some box breathing and I just went straight to sleep. And then when I woke up in the morning, it took maybe three or four seconds. And then I said the swear word of sugar. And it's <laughs> and then it's like, oh... It's happening. Yeah, and I mean, you just can't help, but your body's shaking because you've just got so much adrenaline. So the start itself. So you leave every five minutes. There's one boat every five minutes, and then you're watching. I think we was about fourth or fifth, so we've already watched three or four boats go out, and you're like so psyched for that team because there's quite a big sense of camaraderie uh, in amongst the ocean rowing world, and then. <laughs> And then they loosen your boat off the pontoon and then they say, right, girls, are you ready? And then you just kind of go, yeah. And, and then that's it. Like you're, you're set loose off land and then you're not going to see land for six weeks. As you go over the official start line, so you come out of the marina, the start line is maybe 100 metres away, and then they just let off this massive horn, um, and then everyone just goes wild, and you're just so pumped. Mm. And then as soon as we're two miles out, we all just say, thank God that is over. And you just take this huge sigh, and then you just relax, and you think, right, I'm rowing for two hours, and I'm going to then rest for two hours and then that's going to be my whole life for the next six or more weeks. So talk to me about the process then on the boat, the process of, you just mentioned it there, two hours on, two hours off, there were four of you. How did that rotation work? Was it exactly that? How many of you were rowing at a time? Typically you have two people rowing at a time. Some people swap both their rows straight away, um, as in swap both rowers for the next two rows but we had an hour in between so every hour someone would swap if that made sense um so yeah two hours rowing two hours resting i say two hours resting when you rest you come off uh, you use the toilet which is a bucket um you prepare your food you then look after your body like your hands and your bum that gets the most friction on the boat so you're going to take care of your body then there might be some admin jobs on the boat like navigation make sure some equipment is still optimal uh, make sure the solar panels are taking on enough charge um, something might just need tightening up a bit so now you're about mm, 30 minutes into your two hours off you're then going to get in the cabin take off all your clothes you're now about 35 minutes and then now you need 10 minutes to prepare ready for your next shift so you're only really going to get about an hour and 15 minutes sleep at any one time mm. and I would imagine you're super hyped up at that point as well yeah I like I said earlier I, I am quite good because in normal life I'm quite hyperactive but in an endurance event I found that that really drains my energy so when I get into an endurance event I'm very opposite and very calm and um, quite quiet and I just think right now's time now's the time to get my head down so it's soon as my first rest shift I, I ended up sleeping because it was exhausting yeah like absolutely exhausting I've I can't even begin to describe how tiring it is and like and I've been tired before but it's just beyond like it's so tiring that you're not tired well you're basically asleep so how can you be tired when you're asleep but you're still rowing so you're dreaming when you're rowing 
but you've got your eyes open. I suppose in some sense that's hallucination. Yeah, I was going to say, was there any moments like that? Any sort of moments of hallucination, of just complete and utter exhaustion? Or were you past that? It was complete and utter exhaustion. And I would have conversations with people, but there weren't people on the boat. Mm. Well, obviously my rowing uh, teammate who was behind me, but I wasn't talking to her, I was talking to someone else. It must be so hard to get those little jobs done as well when you're that tired. When you're knackered, physically knackered, it's so hard to do anything with your brain. That must be quite dangerous as well. Like, into the last couple of weeks, last three weeks, the halfway point, when you are totally exhausted, it must have become, I mean, a little bit ropey in terms of those admin jobs and making sure that you were on the right course and things like that. Yeah, I'd say actually towards the end, you're then so in it and you're so uh, regimented and your body's almost adapted that that's probably the best time. And also then you've got all your jobs on the boat absolutely nailed. You're, you can identify problems even before they happen. Um, day 10 is is horrendous because normally, I suppose, an endur- a long endurance challenge would end, end around kind of a week, maybe 10 days, maybe two weeks. Day 10, your body says... I've had enough and we were all just zombies we had no power we were just so tired morale was so low also on the flip side you say about doing admin tasks when you're super tired it's not like real life like you're not thinking about laundry you're not thinking about your partner you're not thinking about bills charging a mobile phone not social media all those little things in real life that means a decision what are you going to wear where did you put your car keys they're all filling up this brain glass as I call it but on the Atlantic you haven't got this glass like it doesn't get full you literally wear the same clothes every day you do exactly the same thing so despite you being so tired you have a really functioning brain I suppose there's never a time in life when that happens never and not many people will ever be able to experience that and that's why I love ocean rowing and also there's so much stuff that's out of your control you can't control if there's not enough sun and your solar panels aren't going to charge you can't control if the wind is going to turn 90 degrees and start blowing on the side so typically across the Atlantic you get winds from east to west so essentially you're getting a little bit of a helping hand it would be like running and someone just having their hand on your back you're just going to get a little push Um, that's why you do it in December because the trade winds go from east to west and also there's not very many storms so this particular year the year that we took part the the trade winds were barely non-existent so we're actually rowing every single stroke we might as well be on a lake because the ocean's pretty it was pretty flat there was no big swells pushing us along and there was this one particular day where the the wind actually turned and and came the other way west to east so it was on our nose so if we'd have stopped rowing it would have pushed us back to hold our position in the race and we knew that quite a lot of other people might use something called a power anchor and that is like a big parachute that you put out into the sea and it basically holds the boat in one position and it stops it from drifting back as far and so people then just go in their cabin and rest but the boat does drift back a little bit 
we didn't want to get our power anchor out a because it's a nuisance to get out and then to put away but then suddenly you've got this big huge wet parachute on your boat so that we then made a group decision to row until the wind changed so we rowed three people and one person hand steering i'll explain that in a minute non-stop for nine hours non-stop so we was just used to doing two or three hours at a time we rode non-stop for nine hours and we rode four miles um for six of those hours we rode with our left oar only just to stop us being pushed north and coming back to the hand steering in ocean rowing you use an autopilot so you can basically set it 270 that's west and it will um, automatically set the rudder for you. But if you go below 1.5 knots, it stops working. So we was rowing three people and we was going at 0.7 knots. And that is, well, it's 0.7 miles per hour. And it's like, what are we doing? What day was that? That was about two and a half weeks in. How despondent did you feel off the back of that nine-hour stay? And you must have felt like, was this... This is never going to end. So we all kind of went through phases. Maybe after three hours, someone said, we can't do this. And then everyone else would say, we absolutely can. And then that person would, and then we'd change that person's mind. And then it would be maybe five hours and someone would say, we, we, we can't carry on doing this. So then we'd go through waves of people getting tired and then the other people would say, no, come on, we've got to do it. And then we get to hour six and you're just thinking, this is ridiculous. Like, we've been doing this for six hours. And then slowly the morale between all of us started to drop, which is super dangerous. Because if it's just one person, you can pick, three people can pick them up. But when it's two, that's 50% of your team. When it's three people feeling low, it's then one person's job. And so I could feel us all slipping down. And then it was like, right, guys, like, we haven't been rowing for six hours straight to then give in. Like, we're going till the end. And it was nine hours. We then, when the wind started to change, we did give ourselves an hour off and we drifted back half a mile. We then nailed a, a, a bag of peanut M&Ms, done a little bit of housework and then cracked on. But actually it brought the team together even more. We felt so, like we'd conquered it, like we did it. We found out that some other people had travelled back in this particular weather when in fact we'd travelled three and a half miles forward so we kind of felt like champs like exhausted but just like we did it do you think that was a little bit of I don't want to say a turning point but a point where like you said the team was super super close was that the point that you just thought we're just going to plough through this now and get the rest of it done kind of thing yeah anything that was thrown at us we we just dealt we just dealt with because also it's important for me to to say that actually there was quite a lot of friction on the boat in terms of personality like and people would say well that's obvious but actually in terms of pre-rowing there was personalities personalities just not mixing at all but we always was a team where if something went wrong we would discuss it, look at our options, and then we would say, right, we're doing this. And then we'd all say, right, let's get on with it. And we would just absolutely nail it. And so we just felt, like, so good, despite all of the friction, disagreements. Like, we rode non-stop for nine hours and, and... Brought you together. Yeah, like, 
Amazing. So post that, was there still frictions on the boat from time to time? Yeah, from time to time. But really the one thing that always brought us together was why are we here? And that was to win the female race. And um, the health of us and the health of the team and the health of the boat was always right at the top. And that was what we kept in the forefront of our mind. In terms of when you're out there, you're in the middle of the ocean, at the middle of the Atlantic, and you've just got up from a sleep, the sun's coming up, and you're getting to get back on and do your two-hour stint. You look out and you see nothing but water. To me, that's terrifying. I can't, <laughs> I can't even perceive it. It's one of those things where I don't think you probably can perceive it until you are actually in it and doing it. When I'm ocean rowing, despite not liking rowing, uh, when I'm doing it's my ocean, fact it's so far. funny, isn't it? Yeah. Like people say you're lying. No, I'm really not. Um, when I'm ocean rowing, it's I'm almost just in a kind of weeks of meditation. It's so weird. Like it, I never felt scared that there was nothing out there. It was just sometimes we joke about it, like oh look, it's the sea again. But we none of us ever let it get to us because I suppose if the moment that you let it get to you, you're on a downward slope. Probably in the wrong place as well. If you let it get to you, yeah. yeah. And also very appreciative. And interestingly enough, the sea was so different all the time and it would end up looking like certain landscapes. So sometimes the waves were so big, it would look like mountains. And one day it was so flat. It was like we were like ice skating. Um, So you could kind of find beauty in the different sea states and the different clouds. And people say, oh, you, you must have so much time to think out there. But one thing that occurred to me on this particular trip was actually I don't think I unthink because I realize sometimes I come off a two-hour rowing shift and I haven't thought about anything and like how nice is that just my brain is so relaxed Mm. and like a muscle just fully relaxed and it wasn't as even though as though I was trying to not think about stuff it just naturally was unthinking when you're on the land, do you miss the sea? Yeah, I do, yeah, a lot. I think I um, I was never a sailor, never did water sports as a child, never was on the water, never did camping, anything like that. But now I'm 36, I got into ocean rowing when I was 34, and I think I probably, I was probably born to be on the water because I, it, the way that it makes me feel is so incredible. I think with these things, it's very hard to say, was there an injury? Because you're rowing for six weeks. Mm. There's obviously going to be soreness. There's always obviously going to be bits that are hurting. Yeah. Was there anything serious? Uh, personally, uh, for me, when I do do ocean rowing, I get really bad nerve damage in my wrists and my hands. I th- suspect that I had carpal tunnel because I got some mild swelling and I had shooting pains down my fingers. Three of my fingers went completely numb uh, within two weeks um, and I was really worried because I couldn't, well, I couldn't feel them, which means I couldn't grip the oar. I then, every now and again, as I pulled a hard stroke, it, it was like hot electricity all the way down my forearms into my fingers that would make me scream and I thought right I'm stuffed I 
took some natural remedies uh, talked to the girls who are rowers and they said okay I think we, you've got maybe a little bit of a bad technique did some massage did some affirmations people think I'm wild for saying that but I do believe in them fortunately after a week it went uh, then about five weeks in you've been sitting on your bum for 40 days and uh, it is just sore and you've also lost quite a lot of weight so then all of the fat on your bum you're now just bone and you're sitting on this seat and um, you know it starts to get really sore to the point where towards the end I said to the girls at the front of the boat right I'm nicking part of your mattress and I hacked it hacked it with a deck knife and I was sitting on this massive mattress that made me look like princess and the pea because my bum was so sore just the pressure of sitting on your, on your sit bones for that amount of time what did you do for Christmas we carried on rowing yeah. we didn't stop quite a lot of people stopped we carried on we took on some treats for Christmas and I took some toffee which is like cho- little chocolates someone else took some tomato soup someone else took some a tin of peaches so we just all had that little treat as a morale boost when do you begin to realise and kind of understand that the journey was coming to an end it isn't until about three or four days before the actual end because you can be going at a certain speed and you can see that you've got a certain amount of miles to go and you can predict okay we're going to be finished in five days but then you wake up the next day and the wind has dropped and suddenly that's put your estimated arrival date back by one or even possibly two days and so we were told don't until you're three or four days out don't plan when when you're going to arrive but we always did it was so bad and actually we was meant we wanted to arrive on the Monday and we didn't arrive till the Thursday so we were setting ourselves up for a disappointment to be honest but it's probably three days out which 150 which is probably about 225 miles from the end you realize that you're going to finish you're kind of processing it but obviously you're still racing you're still in it you've still got 36 hours of actual rowing to do you've still got to do all of those rowing shifts and then you get about 40 miles from Antigua and you can actually see the light coming in the night you can see the light pollution coming from the island and then you think oh sugar like this is actually happening and then you start to get scared because you've been on a boat with three other people you haven't seen anyone else you've spoken to a few people on the satellite phone and maybe a few sailors on the VHF radio but you haven't interacted you haven't washed you haven't looked in a mirror you've worn the same clothes you haven't been on social media you haven't eaten any fresh food for six weeks like your life is about to just change dramatically and then suddenly you're rowing into Antigua with super yachts blowing their horns and people on kayaks stand up paddleboards yachts media power boats everyone's around you and there's just all of this noise and, and then you think, oh my goodness, I've just rode from Spain and like I'm here. And then suddenly you just forget 
all of the six weeks and you just think how has that even happened like how am I even here Mm. it's just so odd and like even thinking of that finish now coming into Antigua it was just the most intense experience of my whole life like I'm not sure anything will ever get greater than that moment like the noise and the people and you just think I've done it like and people are crying and you just like is this even me it doesn't even feel like it didn't even feel like me it felt like I was watching me do it it was so odd when did you come down it took five days for my hormones to completely even out someone said when they saw me at the finish line it looked as though I'd been taking class a drugs because my pupils and my eyeballs were literally popping out of my face like I was so pumped like so pumped and didn't really sleep for five days because I was just out celebrating. Didn't really eat properly. And then after five days, it's like, poof, crash. Mm. Crash, bang, wallop, yeah. You're out there literally alone with literally no contact other than three other people. You've all got the same goal. You get back and you get home and it's totally different. Were you ready for that? Well, I had always thought that this post-adventure blues was a bit of a, a kind of a mindset in terms of if you think you're going to get it, you're going to get it. Mm. And so I've come back off adventures before and I'm, I've been determined to kind of stay positive. And, and I did. But on this occasion, I failed, like completely failed. I, I've completely uh, proved that um, mindset wrong because I did... I absolutely came crashing and burning. So you arrive in Antigua and you're basically kind of this mild celebrity. Oh my goodness, you've just done the Atlantic. Oh, can I have my picture? Like, brilliant. It's hot. People are buying you drinks. You've achieved this goal that you've wanted to do for two years. Then you get on a plane to Gatwick. You come home. It's minus two. It's grey and miserable. You've got to go back to work the next week. No one really gives a stuff what you've done. Um, and and then you just think, this is such a contrast. Now you've got to do your laundry. And now you've got to update your social media and take that telephone call. And, like, everything was just, oh, this is so different. Like, I'm really struggling. Mm. It must have felt so strange when you came back. Yeah, and I have spoken to quite a lot of people since who have done the challenge, and they all feel the same. So it, it's kind of reassuring to know that, it's not just me. Yeah, you're definitely not alone with yeah. that, I would imagine. When you did finish then, did you achieve what you wanted to do? Yes, we won the female race. Yeah, we did. We won it. We did want to row across the Atlantic in 40 days and we rowed across the Atlantic in 43. In hindsight, it was a bit irresponsible for us to say that we wanted to do it in 40 because you just can't control the, the weather. Mm. And the weather was, she definitely tested us, but we did win. Like we pushed so hard to win and we won and it was great and that moment then when, when all of you guys finish and there's a great photo on your social of you all like hugging on the boat which that moment shared with those three other girls must have been incredibly special um, just off the scale so we was all sobbing I said to the girls, I'm not going to cry at the finish line. No one likes a crier. I look ridiculous when I cry. I'm just going to smile. So we got to the finish line. I absolutely sobbed. Like, I'd love to make the noise that I made because it's really <laughs> funny. But I think everyone had um, to like turn off because it was 
from the pit of my stomach just oh just oh just like couldn't stand just absolutely sobbing and then we just all hugged like well we can't believe we did it like this is unbelievable and even now it doesn't feel like I did it I was saying to someone on the phone earlier it feels like my brain has compartmentalized that whole experience because it's so kind of out of this world that it's put it in a box it's put the lid on and it's gone oh yeah we did that makes you want to do something else evidently oh like big time i would go and do another challenge yeah and final thing i wanted to ask this what did you crave when you're out there food wise and what was the first thing you ate and what was the first thing you drank oh so i absolutely love vegetables i really 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 wanted green vegetables and the first thing that i asked for when i got on land was baked salmon mashed potato broccoli and kale like it was so good with a massive glass of fresh orange juice like so good vegetables is just my favorite and And that first bite must have been like oh my god i've just eaten so much veg since i've got home yeah and if you were going to say something to someone that wanted to do a big challenge whatever it may be what would you say just get on with it if you want to do something you're never going to get rid of that desire to want to do it you're always going to be curious so the best thing you can do is just sign up because once you've signed up or put your deposit down you've just got to start making it happen there you go It takes a very special human being to do something like that, to row across an ocean, to be bobbing up and down in the middle of the sea, just surrounded by water. Terrifying in my eyes, absolutely terrifying. A very special human being, and that is exactly what Laura Try is. She will be back on the podcast in the near future, I have no doubt, because she's got some crazy challenges lined up in her head. On to next week's guest. His name is Seb Morris. He is a race car driver and five minutes into our conversation, he started talking to me about the time he was set on fire. You will hear that and so much more on the podcast next week.